Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Nat Warner of Wesleyan. Now, Nat competed at Wesleyan from 2013 to 2017. Uh, He was also the coach of both Wesleyan and Northwestern's program for the last four years or three years. And he amped a rep just this last year. And he has so kindly agreed to join us on our first ever mock review roundtable discussion. So Ben and I are really excited to have you here, Nat. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Although this is a roundtable and we're going to kind of get to just the general discussions, we like to start this the way we always do when we have a guest. Nat, could you just tell us what's the origin story of Nat Warner with Mock Trial? When did you first start? What made you decide to keep up with Mock Trial? I first started in 2014, which was my sophomore year of college. I'd done debate uh, all of freshman year and all of high school. And I had a couple friends uh, in my very small major at Wesleyan who were trying to like restart the Wesleyan mock trial team and basically handpicking their friends to, to, to form a team with them. I think in that first year, I maybe went to four meetings. Uh, we didn't know invitationals existed. So my first round was round one of regionals, which happened to be up against Harvard A, who you'll remember ended up winning the national championship that year. <laughs> we got incredibly lucky, got an open bid uh, to... San Diego Orcs, which we took and had such a great time there that I was head over heels in junior and senior year. We started taking it really seriously uh, and made it to nationals by by senior year. And then I just stuck around. Uh, they can't get rid of me. And I was living in Chicago for a while. Northwestern was was nice enough to have me. And now I'm back in Connecticut, virtually coaching them. I expect I'll be back in Chicago in a couple of years and just maybe keep ping-ponging for the rest of my life, but that's the trajectory. So, Nat, one of the things that I, I know I've mentioned on this podcast, and I think it's just such an amazing accomplishment that maybe not everyone knows, you were the coach of four different teams at Nationals. Can you talk us through what was it like being the coach of both Northwestern A and B and Wesleyan A and B at the same time at the same tournament? You know, how did you negotiate that as a coach? Well, first of all, it sucked. I was scared <laughs> every round that they were going to hit each other. And I was so, so, so sleep deprived because there were so many scripts that I had to read and I could not read all of them. Um, I do want to say, though, you know, I'm the credit goes to the students for that one. Like, I feel like on every successful nationals team, there's one or two students who just rise above and are doing so much work. You don't even have to look at their content. You know, it's going to be good. You know, they've got a handle on things. And in both programs, we were really lucky to have a bunch of those that, that year. Um, and we also had coaching staffs besides myself, you know, um, we had uh, Erica Arnsman at Wesleyan, um, and we had Joe, Joe Ludmere at, uh, at Northwestern. So we had all the pieces sort of came together. We had great teams for that. So, you know, it, it, I guess it's kind of fitting to talk about NCT to kind of kick off uh, our first discussion point, I guess. And, and for those listening, we're, we're going to kind of try to take this, I don't know, just a little more casually than usual and kick things around. And we're recording this uh, just a couple days after AMTA announced 
something that I think we kind of all knew was coming, but that the uh, remaining orcs and the NCT for 2020 aren't going to be happening in person. Uh, but along with that, they sent a survey out to, I believe it was to all the teams that have qualified for NCT and all of the remaining orcs teams asking about people's uh, sort of level of interest and level of willingness to try and do those tournaments virtually. Uh, and that has been a really, really tough topic, sort of an interesting topic uh, amongst my team. You know, as soon as I got the survey, I sort of sent it to my A team, my qualifying team, and got their thoughts. Uh, and, you know, Nat, you and I are in the same position where we both had teams that qualified out of Lancaster. Um, what, I mean, what was your reaction to that? Because I know I, like, I, there are times where I'm like, oh, it's better than nothing. But how much better than nothing is it? I, 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 I don't know. I struggle with, with the idea sort of just generally. I guess my thought was some mock trial is better than no mock trial. And what we're going to do is put it to the teams. Northwestern also has a bid, so we'll put it to them and see who wants to do it. And I figure if we get six people from each school who want to do it, then, you know, we'll send a team. And I'll show up to, to coach. The other coaches are, are, are down to help edit scripts like we always do, and we'll make it work. I guess the question that I have is what's going to happen to TPR? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a really good point about, like, mock, some mock trials better than no mock trial. One thing I will say, I think that doing nationals is almost easier than continuing orcs. And what I mean by that is that I feel like at the orc stage, everyone is so well-practiced. Teams kind of have this expectation of, okay, I know the case really well. And at least in my opinion, I feel like the wind is so sucked out of the sails. Like if you get a new case and get the excitement of, I get to rewrite things, I get to, you know, dive into this new case, that could be exciting. And there can be kind of that restart of energy and ex and readiness to actually prepare a case. But I feel like trying to re-prepare for orcs, I think could be really, really tough for teams. I don't personally know what Haverford has decided whether or not they would want to go back to orcs. But I definitely think that like, that's a really tough angle of this to try to say, okay, you know, we need to replay these orcs basically and redo them. Um, but to your point, Nat, I mean, what happens to TPR if you have some teams that have gone to orcs and made progress there and gotten, you know, X number of wins? Do we count that? Do we not count that? Like, do we count it the same way we would for teams that do it over Zoom? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, and there's really no way that that's the thing is like because that's kind of what I said to my team when when there were some people who reacted not super positively to the idea is, you know, if, if, if this doesn't happen, like the wins at orcs, they just don't count. Like, because you can't, you can't, like, there's no way to calculate TPR and include the five orcs that happened and the three orcs that did, like, you just can't do it. Um, but I could also see an argument from say a team that goes to a virtual orcs and doesn't qualify that like, wait, we didn't have the same, you know, it's not the same thing. It's, it, we're doing the best we can, but it's not exactly the same. And, and I could see someone saying, maybe you're a perennially strong program, a, a program that usually goes to nationals. And by virtue of the virtual format and the fact that it's a little gimmicky and hard to differentiate between teams, you don't qualify, right? And so your TPR goes down. Is that fair? I, I, I could see an argument both ways on that. And the other problem with this is that whenever we're doing virtual mock trial, 
there's this added element of like, how good is your internet connection? Do you have a room that is quiet at all times? You know, things like that suddenly become really important. And I feel like it's at least fair to say that there are going to be some teams with some participants out there that don't have access to a quiet room, that aren't going to have a really strong internet connection and are going to be cutting in and out when they try to connect. Like, I feel like that's just adding another really massive barrier to an activity that already has a lot of financial and privilege barriers to it. Drew, I think that's exactly right. Um, I don't know what Haverford and UMBC have done, but I know that uh, Wesleyan gave every student the option to go credit fail because they were responding to those concerns that it was going to be an issue of means, not of merit, if you switch everything online all of a sudden. Um, And my law school did, did the exact same thing, except they made it mandatory to go credit fail. Another worry I would have for the online orcs is rooted in the, the, I guess, just fact that orcs suck. They suck so much. No one has ever had a fun time at orcs. Um, And they suck a little bit less because you get to go home to the hotel rooms. You get to hug your friends when they feel like they did something bad. It's going to be really hard for teams or players on teams when they feel like something didn't go very well and they're alone. That's going to be really rough. And that doesn't mean that they should or or shouldn't do it. That's just something that I think teams are going to have to think a lot about, how to make sure there's still a support system when people aren't there. Yeah, that's, it's a good point. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, like anything under the current circumstances, I think it's kind of a pros and cons argument where like, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about this not too long ago who's pretty involved with AMTA who basically said, like, we can have this tournament, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, this tournament meaning nationals and the remaining orcs, it doesn't change the fact that, like, the 2020 national championship got canceled. And, you know, we may replace it and, you know, f- fill out our field and crown a champion. And at the end of the day, it's funny, if, if you, for some bizarre reason, gave me the ultimate choice, I think I would probably say yeah, like, I think we should we should do it because I think it's better than nothing, even if it's not a lot better than nothing. But, like, you know, I mean, it, when you win, you know, so we crown a national champion, right? And presumably, like, when you get to the high levels of this activity, it's going to translate. You're, you're going to have two really great teams in the final round, even if you're doing it over Zoom. But then, like, what, you, I guess you ship the Calkins Trophy to the captain's ha- house or the coach's house, and eventually, six months later, everybody gets in the same room and gets to see it. From, I, like, it's, I mean, what I'm doing is I'm naming ways in which this would be inferior. And we all know, right? It's an accepted premise that it would be inferior. And I think where I struggle the most is, would it be so inferior and have some of the concerns that you've both mentioned that it is better to just say, look, like, this is crazy. You know, do what most organizations have done, like be in CAA and be like, this is crazy. This is a once in a lifetime thing. We don't want to do this, but everything's canceled. I don't know. I guess the, the question is, what's the goal of AMTA? I, I mean, AMTA says it's an educational organization. Educational organizations have gone online. They've, they've done Zoom classes. That's what colleges are doing for educational purposes. And then competitive organizations aren't you know the sports games are canceled and that's partially a feasibility issue you can talk with your professor through zoom but you can't 
you know, dribble a ball virtually. I, I think, though, that this is going to be something that some people will really enjoy. And, you know, why not do it then? But AMTA should think about what it's going to do in terms of impacting next season. Um, I would be worried if if this was going to affect TPR, which now is even more important than in the past because it's going to bracket you at orcs. That's true. Yeah, it's not just a number to brag about. That like if you go and do a special, yeah, no, that's that's I hadn't really thought about it till that moment, but that's true. Like TPR has taken on an even higher level of significance just give, I mean, you know, Drew and I talked in our works review about how what a six, no, nobody made it through and B one, everybody made it through. And so it's like, yeah, if it puts you on one end or the other of that. Yeah. And I, and I don't know, is there like, is it a crazy idea to only count the remaining orcs, but then not count national source CP? I don't, I really, I'm not sure. So, I mean, here's the other interesting thing. We, we've sent out this survey what happens if three quarters of the team's like, yeah, we're into it, and then the other quarter like, no, we don't want to do it? I mean, it, let's just look at one of the orcs. Let's say, weird circumstance, right? One of the orcs, all six of the D teams are like, nope, we don't want to do it. And then another orcs, all six of the A teams like, nope, we don't want to do it. Is it fair to then hold those two orcs with... 18 teams and it's the 18 B, C, and D teams at one tournament and the A, B, C teams at another. I mean, like, I'm just using TPR because that's what we have. But if you think about it like that, it's like, wait a minute, how could we possibly weight those fairly? And can we even do this if we have less than all 24 teams? I mean, then there's just going to be the logistical issues of pairings. But if, I mean, if we have an odd team, can you imagine trying to do a buybuster team through this? Like, oh my goodness. So it's just like, it, it adds all these new issues. And the last thing I'll say on this also is that trial by combat's coming up. I'm really intrigued to see how trial by combat goes. And I think that, at least in my opinion, I'm hoping that seeing trial by combat will give us a better idea of how feasible is it to do live mock trial via zoom i mean so far we've done the online competition where you sent in a recording it's very different than having objections to things and having that back and forth and i think that once we see trial by combat and either see it work really well and people be like wow this does work or you know hopefully not but if it, if it doesn't seem like it's working if there are a lot of issues with it then i think people may be more resistant to it that's really interesting possible scenario you present where you've got no D teams at one and no A teams at other. And this is maybe a radical solution, but since it is a virtual competition, do you think Ampta could just pool all of the teams? So you have three different orcs just pulled from whatever number of teams register for all three orcs. So there aren't any regions anymore. It's just the region of Zoom. Yeah, I mean, there was no geographic concerns. You could just get the, what, I guess 24, 72 teams that are willing to do it. And I guess you figure out first how many of the current 72 teams will do it. And then uh, whichever ones don't, you bring people in. Yeah, it's a good question. I'll also say, I mean, I'm kind of curious about, I, I would imagine getting judges would be easier now than it would be before I, I at least i would hope like it would have to be i feel like a lot of people have more time on their hands and they don't have to travel anywhere like doing things in the company or home normally people be more willing right um but i i mean i'd be interested i mean 
ordinarily, if you said, oh, let's do a 72-team tournament, I think people would be like, no. But I mean, I, I, I hear it. I think that I'm, I'm inspired by that, that I think that that could work. It'd be kind of interesting to do. But um, I mean, if you do that format, right? Again, going back to this TPR point, is it fair to like determine how you did in that and compare that to how teams did in this new orcs pairing system that we have? I mean, are we going to triage it to like A, B, C, D, E, F? Like, are we going to, you know, how are we going to do that? Will we keep it with four and divide them into fourths? I, I mean, I, I would assume we would just keep it with four and just expand those a lot, but then we're getting this massive range on what is the A teams, what is the B teams. So I, I don't know. Am I, but now were you saying though that like, cause this is what I thought you were saying, which is that you take the 72 teams and you still divide them into three orcs. They're just not geographically, like we wouldn't be a 72 team tournament. It would be three 24 team tournaments so that like you figure out what's basically trying to make all three of them as equal as possible. Cause there's no geographic concerns. That was what I was, what I was thinking. Yeah. So I'm just out of the loop then that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, I, I guess sort of the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, so Trauma Comet will be really interesting because I, I get the opportunity to coach there again this year. And uh, like they're, of course, they're waiting to see like our rulebook for TBC this year is not coming out until after Top Gun because both Justin and Abby are coaching at Top Gun. And so like Top Gun gets to go first and then we'll see how TBC goes. And I do think while one on one is different from six on six, right? Or I guess this year it's kind of two on two with the second chair thing. Like it's very different. But if it works, like, you know, it, 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 maybe it's, it's possible. So, and the judging thing is an interesting question too. There's, there's the logistics of what, I guess you got to get all the judges in one room, do the judges presentation, then sort them all out, then send them all a zoom link. Like that's, that's tough. But I mean, if you have a dedicated staff of people willing to do it, why not? What sort of strategies are you thinking for TBC? You know, don't play your hand too much, but whole new format you've got to be thinking about ways to handle exhibits cross-examinations yeah it has been i i have been thinking about this a lot and i don't know if i have a great uh like a great list of things yet i will say so i got the chance to judge justin's competition that he did a couple months ago or it's like a month ago and i felt like i learned a lot from that about like like the, the logistics of how to like try to make it work well. And of course, like I enjoy like audio tech and stuff like that. So like I've thought about it from that angle from a pure strategy perspective. I think it's all going to be about like, it's already about simplifying, right? Like a competition like CBC, you don't want to try, like you don't have enough time to do anything gimmicky to begin with. Uh, and it's just not, I just don't think it works because you're going up against, like such a, a high skill level. Um, but I think it's like trying to try to simplify to the point where you can still get some of those things. Like, like one of Sydney's strengths as an advocate as a crosser is her rhythm, right? She gets into a rhythm and it's really hard to break her from that rhythm. Uh, that's a hard thing to replicate over. So, um, I think it's possible, but it's not easy. Um, so I think it's about, okay, maybe we don't, try for that chapter that's a little riskier, but in real life would be a lot more easy to accomplish when you can like have the in-person factor. I, 
I'm not sure. I, I know we're, we're working on the possibility of doing some scrimmages just to get a sense of what is it going to feel like? You know, like what are the, what, just what is it going to look like? How is it going to, you know, I, I think it's going to be really difficult, but I will say like, I'm very, very thankful that I'm not doing TVC for the first time virtually. I think it will be beneficial to have done it before, even though it was in person so that we kind of know what we're getting ourselves into. In the past however many hours since uh, AMDA's made this announcement, I have also been trying to brainstorm, okay, what would we do? How would we differentiate through a, a virtual medium? I, simplifying is, is the one I kept coming back to. You, know, you want your questions to be as true to the affidavit as, as they can be. You just don't want to get into it at all. Um, speed, I think, is going to have a premium. You know, if someone's connection cuts out and like loses a word or something, you don't want that to to cost you points because you want them to be able to still understand what's going on. I'm interested to see if people do try to use other types of media. You know, Zoom has this presentation feature where you can put up like a like a PowerPoint. Like maybe people will try to use demos. I know TBC doesn't allow demos, but if, if we, we were at an NTC, could they do demos? Could they do videos? You can present videos pretty easily through Zoom now. I don't know what you'd have a video of, but you could do that. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. So I am not worrying about preparing for nationals or trial by combat or anything like that. But uh, the the high schools that I I coach and help with um did kind of this spring trialing as they called it where they uh worked on some old cases and just prepared some things and we did some directs and crosses and things like that and uh, one of the things that i was noticing obviously high school is like a different skill level but one of the things that that kind of happened to us a lot was there was just so much confusion and and confusion in you misheard what someone just said um, because they cut out for a, a little a second, and it means that you know you're responding to something and not clear about what it was, and then you know everyone just gets very confused quickly, and it it meant that we had to slow things down a lot, and there was uh, th- there's a lot of just talking a lot slower than you normally would to try to really make sure that people catch every word you said and to be really enunciating it because, you know, obviously it's just, you're not as clear through a, a, a virtual connection as you would be in person. And it's frustrating. Like it, it really gets frustrating at times. That being said, I was intrigued at how cutting people off could work effectively and what I mean by that was on cross, I kind of in my head had thought, oh, it's not going to work well to cut someone off on cross through a virtual connection. But I thought it really did because I feel like we all have this response when, when we hear someone else kind of say something on a Zoom, we kind of like react to it of like, oh, like someone else was talking. And you almost have this moment of doubt of like, oh, you know, I, I, I was not hearing that they had moved on or something like that. And it's it was really interesting to me how well I've noticed kids on cross saying, okay, that's enough. And people just like stopping. Um, and I, I didn't think it was going to work well. And I thought it really did. So I'll be intrigued to see how well that works for people um, in a more live format. But I will say from my brief experience with that, that I was intrigued as to how well that worked. You know, we've kind of kicked this around a little bit, but now you and I both were in Lancaster for Orcs and you know, we, we touched on this briefly, but what did you think, uh, what was your experience like going through the new pairing system for the first time? How did you feel it, it worked for you guys? 
I loved it. I, I was so glad to have it. Um, part of that is because last time we were at Lancaster, we had the most upsetting schedule I think a team could possibly have. We hit three teams that uh, were six ballots or higher. They all went to nationals. Those teams were NYU A, NYU B, and Cornell A. That was the great Lancaster 2018 debacle, right? That's exactly right. We were there too. And coming after that, this year we hit two teams that got bids to nationals, which were Tufts A and GWA. But I would take this year's schedule any day over last year's. If only because there was more certainty. I mean, we joked earlier about how much orcs suck, but part of what is so frustrating and maddening about orcs is not knowing what's coming. You don't know when you're going to hit that top five team in in the round that's going to decide whether or not you bid or you don't. And this year we did. We knew what was coming and when it was going to happen, and we were able to kind of get revved up for that. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about uh, how it went, and I forget, Drew, I think we talked about it on one of the, I forget which episode we talked about it on, but one of them afterwards. And like, it, I think we should continue, like it's such a small sample size that we should continue to gather data and see if there's like little things we can tweak here and there. But I liked, you know, it was so interesting having a team in the A, a bracket and a team in the C bracket. Because like that first round, that because of course it's a one two one two to add all kinds of fun on top of everything. Uh, like that round, that evening Friday round, our two teams kind of went. Not that we didn't like take each round seriously or whatever, but like we had different mindsets, right? For my my C bracket team was hitting a B bracket team, so they knew they had to punch above their weight. Um, and of course, my A bracket team was hitting a D bracket team, and so they basically felt like, all right, not to take anything against the D bracket team, but like we should, on paper, be the better team in this round. So let's take care of business, and you know, and and go from there. And when you know that was what A was able to do, and then B was able to get a bracket or get a, a ballot from their you know C versus B round, and like that was that was encouraging for them. It was like, okay, cool, like we punched above our weight. Now, like. There's no reason that we can't keep doing that. And I do agree with you that I think just from a like a sanity perspective as a coach and as competitors, it helps to know like once my students were really like kind of iffy about the new system when it was first sort of revealed. And then once I explained it to them and once we went through it, I think we basically ended up in the same place you were. I will say one thing that I learned from this year is how much more important it is in my view, for teams to be ballot blind uh, with the new system. I had Northwestern competing the same weekend with the same one-to-one format as Wesleyan. And I was with Wesleyan, not Northwestern. I wish I could have been two places at once. But round one, Northwestern had one of those judges uh, who just does things. They weren't allowed to stand up for examinations or statements. Um and they, I think, dropped and tied against their D-bracket team. And they looked at their ballots. They knew what their ballots were. Now, that team had a couple of absolutely incredible captains, uh, Yash and Braden, who I am sure were able to rally them, were able to turn things around and get them fired up for the next few rounds. But another team who didn't have that sort of leadership 
who walks into a weekend thinking, okay, this first round has to be gimme ballots and doesn't get them, that's going to be demoralizing. And the upside, the only upside is you met expectations. You know, Wesleyan swept round one. If I told them you swept round one, that wouldn't have helped. They would have just thought they did what they were supposed to do. So I think that taking away the risk of teams not doing as well as they thought they did against against the teams that they're su- supposed to beat on paper, and that's in quotes for radio listeners who aren't on Zoom like we are, um, I, I think that not knowing is a new strategy that, that's going to help a lot, and that's something that I'm going to push for, at least with my teams, to, to do more consistently because we've kind of gone back and forth. Yeah, Nat, I actually totally agree about that. I think that from if I'm revisiting how I would feel about something, you know, I know that I, I love to be able to look at the ballots. And when I was a competitor, I know that if I face a team that I think I'm better than and I lose, I'm, I'm upset about it. Um, I'm really excited when I face a team that I thought was better than me and we, you know, somehow pulled out a tie. Feels like it never happened that way. It feels like it's always when I feel like I was better and we somehow lost one. But that being said, I, I totally agree with you that, I mean, it's it's one of those things where when you have a, a ranking within the rankings, it it, it, uh, it adds to that pressure of, oh, we have to win this one or the like o- almost the underdog, like, okay, well, there's no hope. We're playing the A team. Like, all right, we're going to lose these. And I think that it, there are pros and cons to it. I definitely like the system more than I dislike it. Um, I just think, Ben, after our conversation that we had, with uh with Woodward one of the things that I took away from it is like for a while Ampta was one way and then it changed dramatically when it went away from the old national system into the orc system and now we're kind of seeing that new phase of changing again and I wonder if this is where it's going to end up or if there's more changes to be had one thing that I feel like we like people kind of talk about in like closed rooms and and never really gets discussed but like what do we think about if Ampta moved to like a division one division two type of system where you separated out and said okay look you know these schools that are way bigger that have access to these resources that are really dominating every year let's put them all in one area and they just compete with each other year after year and then the rest of these teams will put you in this other area I, I I think that it'd be kind of interesting it would be kind of almost going back to what Empty used to be like, but I, I kind of feel like this orcs change is kind of showing, oh, maybe we can change the way we do things and maybe it will improve things for people. So I, I wonder how big the changes are that people are willing to take. Drew, what closed rooms are you going into where they just talk about mock trial bracketing? <laughs> o- only rooms that I go in that. I mean, I, you know, what can I say? It's this Zoom room. Yes, it's specifically referred to. I struggle so much with this question because like there's like to make a sort of a long story short, like I think we can all relate to like, so I was on UBC's first mock trial team in 2011 and we were very similar to uh, not what you described about like your first year where like, we just didn't know what we were doing. You know, we, we did go to an invitational, but like, it was just like I, my favorite story to tell the new members when I'm trying to kind of like get to know them a little bit as I'm like, we like, in the first invitational we ever played, like I, I had done a high school mock trial and I felt pretty good about everything. And I walked in and I was doing a direct and I got objected to hearsay. 
And I just forgot everything. Like, I forgot what hearsay was. I forgot what my name was. I forgot for what purpose I was in that room, you know. <laughs> and, and so I've been on that side where you're really trying to build up. And now, since we've had a little more success, I've been on the other side where, like, you get that round at regionals where you're playing a team that really is not just at the same caliber. And, and that's, I don't, I'm really not trying to say that to brag or anything like that, but just like, it's a tough experience. And I think it genuinely can be demoralizing, particularly if you end up in a situation with the regionals, you know, it doesn't exist anymore at Orcs, but that regionals flip where, you know, maybe you're six and zero going into round four and you hit a, oh, and six or a one and five, um, type team because you managed to get out of that top bracket or, or whatever. I, I don't know. I think all I'll say on this is this is such an area where I think a lot of us could sit down and identify problems, right? The, like your whole thing with orcs being as miserable as it is. Part of that is because orcs can be so random and so brutal that it's hard to feel good about anything that happens there. Um, but obviously logistically it'd be hard for NCT to get bigger than 4018. We've talked to multiple people and talked about that. So you know, and then there used to be silver nationals back in the day, but like, what's, you know, I mean, you know, do we really need a mock trial NIT? Like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of really good questions where I think we could identify problems, but I, where I start to struggle, where I imagine a lot of people start to struggle is, okay, what, what are the solutions? Can you recruit judges to a junior varsity type competition? I, I don't know. There's lots of questions that I would have. I'm thinking back as you say, how it feels to be on the, uh, the other side of, of that development that UMBC sounds like went through from 2011, that Wesleyan went through in 2013. Um, but that experience of going into regionals round one, hitting Harvard A, who, to be fair, I had no idea if they were good or terrible because I knew nothing about what mock trial was. I learned so much from that round. That round got me so fired up. I was like, wow, we just got our asses kicked. And it was awesome. It was so much fun to watch. And I want to do that every day for the next two years that I'm in college. Well, not every day. Um, I like the idea of having maybe some sort of second nationals tournament i want to have something else for teams that are like right on the edge or have been working for a couple years and just don't quite have it all come together when they want it to i agree that having more than 48 teams for nationals is probably impossible i mean i helped run tab for the Yale Invitational this year, where we had, I think, 54 teams across two divisions. Um, and I don't know how they recruited enough judges for that. Um, they certainly didn't have enough rooms as people who have gone might, you know, have experienced the closets that you sometimes get put in. Um, yeah. But even if you could do a 54, 56 team national championship, that doesn't quite feel like enough. You know, it's nice for those six or eight teams that get to go. But what I'd like is something for the 48 teams who, who don't get to go. And that's a tall order. And, and you know, Ampta's getting told, okay, now you need to have five judges in a round because this two judge system 
isn't enough. So recruit more judges. And now they're being told, okay, you need to have new tournaments because, you know, these teams deserve to go, even though they, their record doesn't show it. And you need to have a bigger national championship, even though what host in the world is not trying to recruit as many judges and get as big as a facility as possible already. Um, so like you said, I think we're, you know, it's easy to identify problems. Well, you know, the thing that to me is kind of interesting about this is that the, the, Nat, one thing you mentioned was this, the kind of all these teams that are on the border. And I feel like there are so many teams that I see consistently getting between three and five wins at, at orcs. And as we all know, that's, that's not enough to move on, but you're in that, you're, you're, pretty much always in that you know contended round and the in bracket in the final round uh, of orcs you're a competitive team you know maybe you took a ballot off a team that people weren't expecting you to uh, you, and I, I wish that those teams didn't have their seasons ended at orcs because it's so frustrating and it, it adds to this like how much orcs just sucks and how frustratingly competitive it is i mean it's insane that a team can be five and one going into the last round of orcs and not have some sense of security of like, okay, well, we're probably going to be fine. You're about to play a good team. And if you don't take both, you don't know that you're making it like that is just insane to me. And I think that the new orc system definitely is better for that. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have like a secondary national tournament and, and I think it'd be great to have B teams. Like you kind of say like, okay, A teams only for the one nationals. And then the second nationals is B teams and everyone else. And you kind of allow some other teams to make it to that A nationals. Um, and like almost have like an open bid, this type of thing for that. I, I think that we've kind of talked about this whole one team to nationals thing. And I, and I don't love telling a team that has two really strong uh, teams advance from orcs that only one of them gets to go. I think it's so hard to do well at orcs anyway. That that's just doesn't, I don't think that we need that, but having an alternative, like another tournament where you say, okay, that B team now goes to this other tournament, I think would be a great solution. And I think it would be a nice way to continue people's uh, mock trial careers because I think, you know, all three of us have been to nationals in, in some way or another. And, I know for my part, it was the my favorite tournament I've ever attended. It's just a lot of fun. And I think there's this mutual respect of all the teams there of like, wow, like this is our last tournament that we're going to be doing this year. And like, we all made it like good on us. There's no, there's nothing else to move on to except for that, that final round on Sunday. But I mean, I think that most teams are pretty okay with, you know, this is, this is my last, the last round of mock trial I'm doing. And there's a sense of camaraderie when you have that atmosphere that you don't get even close to it orcs, but having another set of teams that is able to have a tournament like that, I think would be really productive and would, and people would really enjoy it. And I just think it would take the pressure off orcs. So that would make me really happy if they did something like that. And I also just think it would improve the general quality that we would have of some of our tournaments that we would relax some of the pressure on it and it wouldn't be so contentious. Yeah. And, and I know, I think a few of our guests who have been around for a little while have alluded to the fact that Silver Nationals, and now Silver Nationals, is, I guess, isn't a perfect analogy because at least at one point, uh, there was like, I, uh, Jonathan was talking about this last episode, like you could bid to the real Nationals through Silver Nationals. It sounds like it was an interesting system. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you always run into the issue of like, do you, like, if you're a team that, 
like, okay, I'll use an example, not as any, any specificity towards this team, whatsoever, but like a couple years ago when NYU didn't get through, right? Just a sort of a crazy circumstance. NYU is, is as great as they are. Um, if you're a team like that, who's in the top 15 and doesn't get through, you know, is, is that tournament, is that going to be something that you even really want to do? Because you expect it to be at, you know, the, the, the main nationals. But it might not be for teams like that. I, I think the, the one thing I'll say that I really, really liked about what you were saying, Drew, is I, I want to find a way to try and help make orcs just a little bit less terrible, right? And it's, look, at the end of the day, this is a competitive activity, at least in part. And so we are going to have to have elimination-based tournaments where our, the goal is to like funnel people and teams so that we eventually name our national champion. There's no getting around that fact. Um, and so there are, in every round, there are winners and losers, and, and it is how it is. But if there was a way to you know, recognize, to allow teams who, like you said, don't quite get through, uh, but I mean, it would have been in, in 2018, both you know, not your team and my team who, who just had, I, you know, we, we didn't have as bad of a schedule at you at Lancaster as you all at Lancaster, but we had a tough one and we were, we just missed a bid. And, uh, I don't know how that team, that was a pretty senior laden team. I don't know how that team would have reacted to the idea of, all right, we're going to go to a, you know, I called it the NIT earlier. And I think that's kind of the best example of like the, the tournament for teams that were just not quite there. Um, but, I could see a world in which something like that could be a cool opportunity for, you know, teams, whether it's the teams that just fell short or teams that are on their way up and haven't quite made that jump yet to get a chance to get fairly high level competition. I mean, Ben, just to address something that you mentioned, like, you know, would a, a top 10, top 15 team that, that doesn't make nationals still be willing to and want to go to a tournament like this? If you're using the example of the NIT, when the great basketball programs have an off year and don't make it to, you know, Mar- you know, the NCAA tournament and get to the NIT instead. They they still go. They still do as well as they can there. They try to win that tournament. And obviously, the parallels between college basketball and college mock trial are, you know, kind of kind of not as strong as we would like them to be. <laughs> it's one to one. But I, I do think that like there, uh, it's still another tournament to go to, and I think that especially if it's teams that are all again between like three four five wins at orcs it's probably gonna still be very competitive and every year it's never like one team it's like four or five where you're like wow i can't believe blank team didn't make it like they're really good i would have expected them to make it so it's not like it's going to be you know some top 10 team versus scrubs i mean there are gonna be solid programs there and I mean, look, we're yet to see a team that has gone undefeated through every single round they've had all year. Like there's just this is a a activity in which you know there's enough variability where you can have weird results happen. You can have teams that were underdogs all of a sudden upset a, a top team, and that's good. That's what makes it such a special activity. So I I personally think it would be a great thing for us to do. I think the feasibility side is is tougher. Um, organizing an entire second, you know, big tournament is going to be tough. I kind of think we could start with just a single division, just do a single twenty four team tournament. Um, that's you know the NIT or whatever you want to call it, and I think that that could be a really cool thing to do. Again, you know, if you take basically, you know, right now there are eight orcs, so that would be like 
basically two and a half teams, or no, that'd be three teams each, yeah. So three teams from each orc. So that means now seven, eight, nine all get to go. I think that would be a really nice thing to be able to do. It would definitely expand how, and well, I was about to say, you have to expand how you do the fourth power protected round, but then I remembered that we're doing the new ABCD orcs pairing, so I think it would probably work just fine. Um, I, I would be really intrigued to see a, some, a system like that. I think it'd be really fun, and I would be really excited to see us try some other form of expansion. Another way to get at what we're talking about, which doesn't involve AMTA, would be spring invitationals. Um, and and I think most programs view invitationals as preparation for regionals, not as sort of one-shot for fun activities. But I don't know. I've got a, a group of freshmen at Wesleyan who are chomping at the bit to do more mock trial. They're, they're on Zoom with me every week to talk about the rules of evidence. I think that if there were an invitational in the spring, they'd go. And I think that probably other programs have people who would do that as well. Now, what case do you think they would use? Like the the, the old AMTA case, or would they write a new one? I think they'd probably want to use the Nationals case. Um, although that, I guess, gets tricky because then if you have spring invitationals, maybe those get swamped by teams that are going to nationals trying to to play it, but you just have the invitationals after nationals, and that feels like not so much a problem. It's an interesting thought. It's it's because I'm in the same boat. I have a whole group. You know, this year it was my you know C team, not my B team, who got the second bid through, and and some you know naturally we only, we had to condense C and B into one team for orcs and. Tons of those kids, I'm sure, would want to, and some of the ones who were on the B team at Orcs would want to get more practice. And yeah, like like with everything we discussed, you run into feasibility issues. But it would be cool to see. Like it is interesting how like the season from like mid October to the last weekend in January is just like go 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 up in, with the exception of like the few weeks in December. Uh, and then at the end of January, when regionals start everything else stops and you do wonder maybe there's a way for that to not necessarily be the case. I don't know. And for C teams, especially, I mean, Wesleyan C team has bid every year, three years, and we try to pull as many people up to be as possible to, to get people the experience, get seniors, especially at orcs, but inevitably you're, you're capped, you know, you've got a 10 person, you got 10 slots and you don't want to pack the A team because you're kind of worried about dilution. So you've got a whole group of students who, who deserve to go to orcs because they have the record to go, who just kind of have to wait around. And it's really hard to figure out what sort of programming, what you want for those students to feel like they're still pushing and still doing mock trial without invitationals or without another tournament. Yeah, I, I, I'm really intrigued by this spring invitational idea. I think that something that would be interesting to me, would like seniors be included in this? Like, would this be something where, you know, senior that's graduated, they've already, you know, maybe it's a program that they've already gone to nationals. Um, you know, I mean, their, their season is over. Would they still be willing to and want to do this? Obviously, I feel like a lot of people around, uh, like, nationals time is when for a lot of seniors they have like theses or, or other you know 
you know, college career culminating, uh, whatever work that you have. Um, and I mean, there are a lot of teams where, you know, like I said, national is kind of pushing up right against that. And then people have graduation. Um, so I feel like spring invitations would be kind of an interesting thing. I, I feel like Nat, you know, for school like Northwestern that's on the quarter system, it'd probably be all over it because they've got so much time before uh, they're graduating. But I would be intrigued to see how it would work for some other schools that that are a little bit closer to graduation. And, you know, I, I would wonder how many seniors would want to do it. I definitely think it would be a cool idea. And I mean, I'm never going to say we shouldn't do more mock trial, but it's definitely kind of an interesting concept that we could toy with. I also have said, oh my God, like, I'd be so excited if there was some alumni tournament that like existed and like <laughs> alums could come back and you could just like form your own team i mean like how fun would it true be? that's the bar association i just Th- that's going to law school buddy no but i'm with I, people say that but i'm with you Drew. like i like every year i do a scrimmage against my a team and like it's it's the most fun i have all year oh that sounds like a lot of fun oh totally i mean like can you just take a moment to imagine like you know, like Ben, like you and me could do mock trial together. Like how fun would that be? Like I would that love would be that. A lot of fun. You would make me look <laughs> terrible, but it would still be really fun. <laughs> so let me let me ask you guys this as as we kind of wound through this topic a little bit, right? And this is, you know, like <laughs> if you believe in objection vague, this might be objection vague. But uh you know, AMTA, we we've all now existed in this world for several years. And there's so much about what we do. I mean, I like what you're saying, Drew, about you know what we kind of learned from the episode with with Jonathan, which is that things have been stable for a while since the orc system was put into place, and now we've kind of seen the first major change in over a decade. Right, right. right. Uh, and I guess I'm just curious, you know, what what works and what doesn't, because like well, we've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but you know, we AMTA is not getting any smaller, at least anytime soon. Every year has been, I, I think there was a little bit less growth this year versus last year than maybe last year versus the year before, but we're still seeing more teams every year at regionals. And, you know, we have the same number of teams going to NCT as we always have. And the system with the exception of the new orc system pretty much exists the way it has for, for over a decade. But what do we think about how, like what works really well in the system that we have now and what do we think needs to get better in the, in the system that we have now? I think that two things where I could see room for improvement would be transparency. Not because I myself think that there are big secret. I mean, Drew, maybe you've got those closed rooms where people talk about AMTA, but I, I, I find the board to be, fairly communicative. Um, but I know a lot of people don't. Um, and that's based on, you know, my own conversations with people. Also the, the, the mock trial confessions page and, and the perjuries now impeachments website. So take that with a grain of salt, but I think there are people who maybe really genuinely believe that Miami just has a stranglehold on the board and have like 50 board members who are on their payroll or something. Um, and I think the board should, you know, tell people, no, that's not, that's not how, how they operate because I really, it really, really isn't. Um, 
And I think a second way that that there's room for improvement is with the resources that AMTA provides schools for free for education and training. Um, at the end of the day, it's an educational activity, and I worry that new schools are face to face with an incredibly high bar for just starting out in the activity. Um, and even schools that have existed for some years who maybe lost a bunch of seniors or, or haven't done a great job retaining institutional knowledge, if, if it's someone's trying to rebuild a program, where do they start? Uh, there are, you know, there's a manual on, on AMTA's website uh, that sort of walks through the basics of mock trial. And there are a couple of free videos and the, from the national championship. But I don't know if national championship videos are super reflective of what, if you show up at an invitational, you're actually going to be seeing. So maybe there's some way that they can solicit footage from teams of, of their real actual rounds, of rounds at invitationals or regionals at orcs, and just give them away for free. So schools who are new or rebuilding know what they're getting into. So uh, I have a couple things I was go- I was going to mention after what you said, Matt. Uh, first of all, I don't have rooms where we go in and, and talk that much about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'll keep. Uh, you know that that horse is dead. I'll stop eating that, it. That's someone. That's what someone who had those ropes would say. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, you've got me there. I guess my hands are tied. Uh, I'll say this uh, on the transparency note. I think that at least for myself, I think I'm in a very fortunate and lucky situation, which through this wonderful podcast, um, I, I've gotten to speak to and gotten to know a lot of members of the board. And and I, I know they are all wonderful, good people. And I like basically everyone I've ever spoken to that's on the board. They're all really nice. And I I feel pretty comfortable if I ever had an issue that I could reach out to them and that they would let me know what's going on. And I, I agree to a certain extent, Nat, that there is a, a at least decent level of transparency if you know where to look and if you know the right people. Now, my problem is more that there are a lot of things that are unnecessarily hard to find. Um, for example, attending board meetings. That's a huge. I mean, that's something that is supposed to be completely open. It's supposed to be a moment for the board to be accountable. It's a moment for you know other people to come and and watch, listen, see what's going on. And I think we can all agree that those are not accessible to most people. I mean, it, you need to fly somewhere. Like there's so many easy things that you know Ben and I you we've discussed. You know why isn't it just live streamed? You know why can't we just you know make it something that everyone can tune into whenever they want and listen in. I think that there are things like that that would just improve most average person people's confidence in the board. And and Nat, like to your point was an issue like Miami. I think that on that note, I think we have to remember that like there's just like we have to temper our expectations in terms of like there's no situation in which there's an administrative body that every single person is like, I love it. It does a great job. Like Obviously, people are not going to do that. People are going to be mad. People are sitting behind their computer. They feel on top of the world, and they decide to write on mock trial confessions. Miami controls the board. This is BS, whatever. You know, like I I think that most people don't believe that. I I hope that they don't. It's a ludicrous idea. Um, 
I think that it, it is just getting at this point that is there are a couple of programs that certainly have a lot of coaches on the board. And going back to my point about knowing the right people matters, I think that it does make a difference there. I don't think that any program has control or actually influences anything the board does. But, you know, talking about the invention of Fact Memo, one of the big things that it says is like, hey, we're not going to give guidance to teams on whether what they're doing is sanctionable or not. Just don't try anything. But the problem is that if you have a coach on your on your team who is on the CRC, they know exactly what that line is, and other teams have to kind of guess at that line. So uh, I think that there is certainly something to be said about having more transparency, but I agree with what you're saying, that I think that the way that people kind of hype it up online is oftentimes over the top. And knowing people versus not knowing people makes all the wor- all the difference in the world. I think about my senior year versus last year responding to sanctions complaints against uh, Wesleyan teams. Senior year, I had no idea how that worked. Uh, You know, someone filed a complaint against our C team at regionals, and uh, we got a nice email from someone on the board saying that we could ask them questions if we had questions. But it was one of those things where it's such a scary process that aligning an email saying, please ask me if you have questions doesn't feel like an invitation in the way it's probably meant to. And last year we had someone file a complaint against our B team at nationals. And I knew people on the rules committee. I knew the person who emailed me to let me know that someone had filed the complaint. I felt like I could actually ask questions to figure out, you know, what sorts of standards of adjudication were used, what a typical response looked like. And that was just being comfortable with the people. That that last point is a really good one. I feel like I understand this activity. It, it's, you know, we, we made these jokes about the, the secret rooms, whatever, but like, this is one area where, like, I, I'm not actually giving you shit on this. I'm actually acknowledging that this <laughs> is a point where like, like, like people, and again, this is not, None of us are saying that like there are nefarious things going on and that there are like, you know, decisions being made behind closed doors that are specifically being done to like benefit this team versus this team. But similar to what you were saying, that having gone from a position of not knowing people to knowing people, I feel much, much, much more capable of serving my team's best interests now that I know people. Uh, two really quick thoughts on other things you guys were saying. Uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox here briefly for a moment because I've been the one saying for a while that the board meeting isn't transparent enough. Well, guess what? This year, the board meeting is presumably going to have to happen over Zoom because no one's going to be able to all get together. So if this year the board meeting is not recorded and distributed, then the board is just making the decision not to be transparent, right? When everyone's in the same room, it's a little different. I I don't think it's that different, but it's at least a little bit different. Because you, you kind of have to figure out, okay, if you want to live stream it, what are the logistics? Do you want to just record it and put it up later? How do you record it? Whatever. Um, presuming that things don't change between now and I think mid-July when the board meeting is scheduled to happen and they have it over Zoom or whatever, like just hit the little record button in the top. And if there's something, if you go into executive session, turn it off. And like then when you're done, download the recording and put it on AMTIS website. It is incredibly simple. It is like, it would be a, a step of transparency. And, and 
again, how many people would watch it? I don't, I don't know. Like I can tell you our uh, board meeting episodes are not usually like the ones that people are running to their phones to download based on the stats we get to, but it, it would at least be a step in the right direction. And I love not the idea you mentioned about like a film bank. Uh, I, I, I think that is a fantastic idea and I'm surprised that I'm sure like people have talked about that before, but I would be thrilled to contribute, you know, film from a couple of years back on a case where we'll never touch again with people who'll never compete again. Right. Like you got to give people permission and stuff, but you're, you're absolutely right. That as valuable as the NTT videos can be, uh, they are teaching tools if they're contextualized, but they are not going to be representative of you walk into, you know, podunk, you know, mid East coast invitational or whatever. So, uh, sort of going back to end on the thing about knowing people, it, it's it's a reality of life, right? Like when you know people, it, it, it's not that you're doing things, it's not that the people who know people are doing things in a way that's, you know, evil or bad or whatever, but it's it's just kind of the nature of how the world works. And you can't make that not the case, but you can constantly be striving for better ways to make resources available to keep the, pl- the playing field as level as possible and to make this an activity that's accessible for everyone. You know, I, I want to mention the, the idea of the, you know, film bank. I, I really do also disagree that I think it's a great idea. I think there's so much to be gained from watching other teams go. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, but one of the biggest things that I think helped Haverford to improve when we did was that my, my sophomore year this is my freshman sophomore year, we went to we drove up to New York and watched the downtown. And obviously that's very high level competition, but we just all of us went and we all sat in a couple of different rooms and watched the rounds. And it wasn't even that we were like, oh, they did this, let's also do that. But just like getting to see lots of really high level competition and NYU and, and Empire at the time was helping out with it were really nice about like, you know, saying to us, Oh, this is where things are happening. Like, sure, we're happy to have you come and watch. And we found it so helpful and it absolutely changed the way that we approached mock trial. And I like to think that it helped us at least a little bit, considering we did pretty poorly before that and did a lot better afterwards. Um, And I do think that like most teams would be probably pretty willing to contribute to a film bank of some sort. The only thing that I will say about it is that when you're using old cases for a new team, seeing a case totally out of context is not always super helpful and what I mean by that is that when you have read a case and you've kind of, okay, this is what, you know, this is how I read these things. And then you see another team do it and they have a totally different read on it. You're like, oh, whoa, like it never occurred to me that you could interpret things this way. And I think that there's something to be said about doing something more recent. But I also get that, you know, it's not really fully viable to do that. Um, and it doesn't make a ton of sense. So it's a good substitute of some sort. I just wanted to like mention some drawbacks I see to it. Um, but I think in general, it's a good idea and it'll definitely help new programs start off on the right foot and hopefully, um, make the activity even more competitive than it already is. Cause I think that we're, we're finding year after year now that the, the like bottom teams are, are getting better and better. And I think that it's, there's not really, I mean, I don't think that there's like a ceiling that no one can penetrate. I think that it's just harder to get from really amazing to really um, even more amazing when it's a lot easier to go from 
needs a lot of improvement to, oh, they're really solid now. So I think that it's just getting more and more competitive. And it goes back to the issue we talked about before of like, maybe should we you know expand this activity and give more people an opportunity to do it? And there's some, um, a video that I use as a teaching tool a lot is the Orcs round of, of Yale versus NYU playing the Bancroft Covington case, which is just publicly available on YouTube. Um, in the, in the spirit of, of, you know, information sharing and, and money where your mouth is. Uh, Wesleyan's been talking with Tufts about putting our round three publicly up on YouTube. So, so you know, teams can use that as well. But you're right, Drew, those aren't what you're going to see for most of the season. I mean, those are Nationals teams playing orcs when all the kinks have been ironed out. Everybody knows all the objections that are going to be made. There aren't any surprises anymore. And that's maybe not so much a teaching tool as it is a menu of things you can kind of try to mimic. I'm glad you mentioned that, Nat, because I think that that's this really fascinating issue of like mimicry and mock trial. And I mean, I, I remember I was sitting in a round judging this year and a team used a, th- a theme that I had verbatim heard Yale use a few years ago. And I was just like, hmm, like, okay, like, I think that you probably just copied this that they did. And to a certain extent, like, okay, yeah, a team comes up with something really good. Like, I think that there's like, it's not like they have some copyright on it. I mean, like other teams can certainly do it. But I find it to be this really interesting concept of like, oh, like you're copying what this really good team did. Is that good, bad? I mean, clearly it says like what they're doing other teams thought was really good. But we see that on even a more, you know, micro level when you face a team that has a really good theme and you're like, wow, like our theme kind of sucks. Like I like theirs a lot better. I'm just going to use that theme now. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with it, but it's just like this interesting thing that when you said that, now it just made me think of. It's, it, it's a great topic. I mean, I think we could do an entire podcast on it because like I, like I'll be straight up. So we, a couple of years ago, were struggling with a case at a particular tournament and used a good chunk of a theme and uh, sort of a case theory that was used in a national final round. And then, uh, you know, we, we kind of like put our own spin on it, but when you hear a theme that you really like and you do like what you said, Drew, and you're like, oh, that theme is great. Our sucks. That's our new theme. It, it feels a little slimy sometimes. Like you're like, oh, that isn't really my idea. But it's also part of the nature of this activity. It also gets into the merits of things like scouting, which could be a whole different topic too. But I think it is both – it is one of those things that is totally permissible, and I, and I wouldn't even argue it's wrong, but, you know, I think going back to sort of Matt, your point about, like, those great videos can be not as educational as maybe some people think they are. You are not going to get better in the long run. You might be, have some short-term success if you, you know, you get up there and uh, – you know, I, I'm trying to think of a what, what was what was Daniel Stern's theme in the that's the one I feel like that gets copied the most. Or start an opening with what did what if I told you? Right, exactly. Yeah, that like things like that or famous themes that have been used in final rounds. Um, they, they've got the wrong student; they're telling the wrong story. That's what I'm trying to think. Or of. follow the blank. You know, right? Yeah, no, that and like that one a little bit. Like that's a little more generic. I will fully open up to the fact that uh, like our 
prosecution theme this year was follow the hiking staff for, for awards. And it, we went through a lot of different ones. Our, our nationals theory was they've got the wrong teller. They're telling the wrong story. So I'm with you. There's a lot of teams out there who have done it. I like I, we scrimmaged UVA before orcs and it was funny because like that was their theme too, the follow the high staff. And so it was like, it, you know, it was like hearing two sides of the same coin, but, but you're right that it, it, it doesn't help you in the long run. If you just watch a nationals video and copy everything they do, you know, it, I would love to see the footage of, you know, uh, Wesley and a Tufts round three at Orcs. I'm sure that was a fantastic round. Uh, but if I were to download that and use it as a teaching tool, I would be able to contextualize it and put it next to film from invitationals we were at from two years ago where we said a bunch of stupid things and be able to show, te- you know, like kind of be a teacher, be a coach. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know how AMTA solves that problem. I don't know if teams would be willing to contribute quote on quote off bad footage like that's i'd have to think a lot about that but it's it's a good point well i guess that my thing with it is just like on the the mimicry thing like i i agree with what you said ben that it, it makes you feel kind of slimy of just like oh like this wasn't really like my idea and it, you know i think most teams are good enough to like put their own spin of some sort on it but i think that it's it also comes back to this issue of like when it's it's being written by students or written by coaches and it's a similar issue and what i mean by that is like when when students are coming up with everything when they've come up with this is their theme they've written these scripts and it's all completely theirs it's very different than you know they had a coach that helped them come up with that theme and you know did x y and z and both of you coach programs and i'm not saying coaching is bad i've now coached a program and my high school students some of them now listen to this because they found out about it and they know that i wrote every word that they said because i wasn't having it with them they tried to write their scripts and i edited all of them and you know Look, like, do I think that that's, like, the greatest teaching tool in the world? Like, I think that it'd be better if they could all just, like, write it themselves. But I also know that there's a lot to be gained from it. So I I definitely see both sides of it. But I think that it's kind of a similar issue of, like, who's the person that really came up with this? And I will say that, at least for my part, I think that there's something to be said when a student comes up with the idea themselves and then is able to execute it. There's a little more ownership of it than when a coach says, hey, I have this great theme idea. Let's run with this. And everyone says, yeah, I love it. Let's do that. Um, there is a difference in my opinion, though. So take of it as you will. I actually disagree. I mean, obviously, there's some self-interest here. Um, but I think you see all of those elements when you just think about a college seminar, right? A professor proposes a topic, uh, a paper topic, and then students write about that topic in the same way that a coach might suggest a call order or a theory and students write to the the call order or theory. When you turn in a paper in a seminar, you get feedback from the professor and what you did well and what you should do better next time in the same way that when a student writes a script and gives it to a coach for feedback, the coach says, hey, here's what I think you should change. It's a collaborative process any way you cut it. And I think it just gets better when you have people with more experience in the activity collaborating with others. And I also think that some people try to get different skills out of mock trial. Not everybody's in mock trial to become a great theme writer, you know, you know for whatever translatable ability or skills that is in, in the sort of marketplace. Like maybe there's some student who like came to college, chose Haverford for its mock trial program and was like, Hey, 
I want to write really good themes. But there are probably other students who came because they wanted to get better at performing. There are probably students who wanted to just try out a bunch of different accents. There are probably students who just wanted to do public speaking and, and the writing stuff could kind of fall by the side. So I think it's important to think about which students want which things out of the activity. Because I think there are some students who want to be writers. I think there are some students who want to be actors, some who want to be performers, and some who want a little bit of a mix of all. And for the record, like, again, like, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying now. I think that having a coach is better than not having a coach. And I, I've actually pretty, pretty passionately feel that way at this point. Um, and the concept of, like, being a student-run program is, I think, a point of pride for a lot of teams. And I think that it's only viable when you have students willing to do ungodly amounts of work and, frankly, unfair amounts of work to them. And I think that it, it just requires individuals to be putting forth a lot of time. And as someone that has had to do it, it's not fun. And I, I wish I had a coach. But um, one thing to your analogy about a seminar, Nat, I kind of feel like it's like if all the students were writing an essay that the, you know, the, the teacher had given them a prompt, and then a couple of those students had tutors, and those tutors edited their essays for them. And then those kids all got better grades. Like, to me, I feel like that's a closer analogy to what coaching is. And to me, it comes down to, is that tutor leading questions and, and prompting them in the right direction and then them writing a great essay? Or is it they write it and then that tutor gets it and then edits it for them and then, you know, turns in a completely different paper? So, I, again, like... I'm not trying to criticize coach teams. Again, I, I coach multiple high school teams, and I, I think it's a valuable thing. And again, I wish that Havford had been coached. It would have helped us a lot. Um, that being said, I definitely think that there is something to be said about in terms of what skills we're building, right? You know, when, when you have to write it yourself, I think that you get a lot out of that. And that is a different skill than someone has helped you and has edited it for you. And now you're regurgitating the information that they've given you. Well, it's an interesting topic, and I think we've we've covered a lot tonight. And I, I'm actually I'm pretty happy with how this went. I think this is the first time we've ever tried something like this. Um, I, I think we kind of alluded to it earlier, but when Drew and I record, we can't usually see each other. But the, we've got Zoom up on our our screens for this episode, and it's been kind of fun. I, you know, I think we got to dig into a lot of stuff. And and Matt, thanks for doing it. Thanks for diving in and sort of uh, trying this experiment with us. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you again, Nat. Well, we appreciate everyone listening. We've got some exciting episodes uh, planned in the hopper, uh, trying to continue to fill a little bit of that mock trial void. Uh, but in the meantime, again, thanks to Nat for joining us. This has been the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. <laughs>